you would remain standing and open up to Romans chapter 16. Uh, This is a tradition that we have kind of at our church to stand as we read God's word, uh, just to show the honor and the magnitude of what we are about to encounter. So if you would open up to Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 25. Romans 16, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's that's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And it says in Romans 16, verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So the Bible speaks of a great mystery. Not the type of mystery that we might think of it. Not like a riddle to be solved. No, this mystery is different. It's something hidden. Something veiled. Something just beyond the corner. The smartest man, try as he might, would not be able to piece it together. Socrates and Plato missed it. Kings and rulers failed to see it. The masses walk right by it. Poets would never dream of it. Storytellers would never think to write it. No, this mystery comes from no man. It could never come from a man. The mystery is too deep. It is so deep that when it was unveiled, it unhinged the world. I do not exaggerate when I say that when you see it, you see the mind of God. Because that is where it comes from. The Apostle Peter rightly said, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. You see, for centuries, God was hinting at this revelation that was going to come. And he hinted at it through his prophets. He gave them visions and oracles and glimpses, but none of them understood what they were seeing. All they knew was that something big was coming. For a very um, long time, it seemed like God's involvement in the world was very limited. He spoke with one man, Abraham, out of thousands of people on the earth. And then he spoke with one nation, Israel, out of hundreds of nations on the earth. It seemed like God's primary work in the world for centuries was through one people out of all peoples until Jesus came. You see, when Jesus stepped out from heaven and stepped onto the earth, he ushered in the dawn of the gospel. I have a message for you guys today, a message that I am calling God's global broadcast. The gospel is God's global broadcast to the whole world. It is the breaking news on your television screen. It is the interruption on your radio station. It is the amber alert in your cell phone. It is the voice over the intercom in your classroom. God has a message for the world, and it is called the gospel. A message that cannot be ignored. 
It is a message meant for all people. God has a message for you today and a message for every person who walks the earth. And the book of Romans delves into the mystery of that message unlike any other book, unlike any other piece of literature ever written. Romans is filled with the truth and the glory of God. Reading Romans is like, it's like turning God's station on the full blast. It's like trekking the Himalayas or climbing Mount Everest. The air you breathe in Romans is like a different kind of air. It's epic. It feels like it's from another world. And when you allow yourself to behold the beauty that's in this book, you leave changed. You cannot read this book and leave unchanged. There is power in this book that is quite unlike anything else I've ever read. If you want new heights in your walk with God... Romans is the book for you. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but I have serious issues in my life. I've got trust issues with God. I've got anxiety issues. I have sin issues. I don't need three steps to become a better Christian. I need to be enthralled with the glory of God. I believe that is what we really need if we are going to be the people that God calls us to be, holy and loving people. We don't need a three-step program. We need to be changed by the amazing truths that are in God's Word. And I think Romans is the perfect book for that. So today, in the brief amount of time we have together, I'm going to communicate to you the three most profound truths to ever be uttered in the world. And the reason that is, is because Romans comes from the mind of God himself. And when Paul peered into the mind of God and wrote Romans, he came out very changed. The gospel is God's global broadcast. And Romans is the presentation of that gospel. You see, God is using every means possible to transmit his message to you and to the world. He's used the pages of this book... He's using me right now to preach the word to you, to transmit the message that he wants to bring to the world. He uses you. He uses your networks. Whenever you share with your friends the love of Jesus Christ, the message spreads through these networks and spreads through these pathways until it's going to reach all the world. The Bible says that the message of the kingdom, the gospel is going to be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. This is God's desire that all would hear this message, that all would find life in his name. So today I'm going to focus on three themes that come out of the mystery that was revealed in Romans. Three chapters, if you will. And chapter one is wrath. In Romans chapter one, verse 18, it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people 
are without excuse. Through this book, the creator of the world is transmitting his message. And the first few lines that come through the broadcast are terrifying. They are absolutely terrifying. Wrath. I mean, it's not a word that my 21st century millennial self really can get down with, right? It's, it's hard to understand this word in our context. It is so politically incorrect. It is jarring. It is almost wrong. But it's there. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and it's there. It talks about God's wrath. So very quickly... In chapter 1, I'm going to try to explain it in the best way that I can. The wrath of God is what happens when His holiness meets sin. The wrath of God is what happens when His holiness meets sin. Sin is outright rebellion against God, right? Earlier in the series, we talked about in, how in the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And there was this, this, this creature, this being named Satan, who, who introduced this idea in the world. And the idea was sin. It was this idea that was subverting God's purpose for the world and His glory. And it has turned the world into what it is today. Sin is an offense to God's holy character. The Bible speaks of God's wrath in many ways. Uh, He spoke through the prophet Nahum, and Nahum says this, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but is great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The writer of Hebrews says it much more simply. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pause. I don't like this part of the Bible. It's hard. It's hard to take. And I have two objections. And you may also have these. The first objection is, how can a loving God also have wrath toward people? And the second objection is, I don't feel like I deserve wrath. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy, right? I mean, I mess up here and there, but I'm just an average person. I'm just working in this world trying to do my thing. How how is God's wrath on me? And I think this can be answered by this way. This is the best that I can do. God hates sin, right? He sees it as destructive to this world. He sees it as destructive to all that he has created. So God has wrath against sin. He will not coexist with it forever. The problem is we sin. Like it's much easier to see the sins of other people than it is to see ourselves, right? Like I can look at ISIS, I can look at Al-Qaeda and say, surely God's justice demands that they be punished. But then when I walk around and I have lust in my heart to a girl or some other thing that I do, like that is also an offense to God's glory. That is also an offense to what God had created for the world, and we are all guilty of it. We all sin. So as a result, sin has seeped into who we are. It has slithered into the molecules and atoms in our bodies. Like, in fact, sin and I are so closely connected 
that we are basically one. The Bible says that we are born into sin. And so because we are so intertwined, the wrath of God that was meant for sin now rests on top of us. Because now we have become one. God's wrath rests on me. And it's true for you, and it's true for everyone in the world. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The first few lines of God's global broadcast to the world are also the worst. It's like getting a phone call and the first words you hear are, we have a problem. But the gospel doesn't end there, right? If it ended with God's wrath, we wouldn't call that the gospel. That's no good news. That's devastating news. That's horrible news. And that brings us to chapter 2 of the saga, salvation by faith. We are saved from our sins by believing what Jesus has done on the cross. Because while God had wrath for us, he also loves us. And so the gospel is the thing that God has unveiled in the world. It is his solution to the problem. And it was hidden for ages past, but now it is being revealed through the scripture and through the preaching of Jesus Christ. You see, God saw that no matter how hard we tried to reconnect to him, we couldn't do it. People created religions to try to do it. People try to do it through their good works, and all of those things have failed. And so God's solution was to send Jesus down to the earth to live an unblemished life. Like the, the molecules of sin that are in us were not in him at all. He was a perfect being walking the earth. And he died on the cross for our sins. And what God did in that moment was Jesus disentangled the wrath of God that was on us and put it onto Jesus Christ. That is the glorious part of the gospel, that this sin thing, this, this wrath thing that was on top of us was taken away from us and was put on to Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And again, Paul says in Romans 3, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but are being justified freely by his grace, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. See, God's plan from the beginning is not that people would be saved from their sin by their own works. God's plan from the beginning was Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is the path to God. It is the only path to God. Every other path fails. Every other path ends in roadblocks. But Jesus and his path ends with God himself. The amazing thing about the gospel, the thing that makes it unlike any other religion in the world, is that it's not by works, it's not by might, it's not by intelligence, it's not by wealth, it's not by strength, it's not by good looks, it is only by one thing and one thing alone. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. That all we have to do is trust in Jesus Christ and, and God removes his wrath from us, gives us a new spirit and sets us on a path toward glory. 
the gospel is an amazing thing and it is being broadcast by God into the world and he desires for every single person to live in it and to walk in it. And that brings us to the final chapter in God's broadcast. Glory. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Since Jesus was God's solution to the broken world, God is recreating the world through Jesus Christ. Like when Jesus came into the world, he said that he was ushering in a new kingdom. Like what does that mean? It means that God's design for the world was being broken through, through Jesus Christ. That he was recreating the world. Like this is the world as it's supposed to look in Jesus Christ. And that means for everyone who follows him, he's going to recreate us along with the world. That means our old selves, the selves that we're ashamed of, the selves that have sin, the selves that have brokenness, the selves that have all these different things. God is basically ripping those selves out of us and is giving us a new self. Call this the first city of the new earth because we are the new humanity. God is making us to look just like him, full of grace, full of joy, full of peace, full of love. This is what God intended from the very beginning and he has overcome sin through the gospel and through Jesus on the cross. And the most spectacular part of this new kingdom, this new thing that God's doing in the world is that all those who follow Jesus will one day behold the glory of God. (laughs) The glory of God, which is probably 10,000 sermons in and of itself, is very difficult to describe. All we know is that it is good. All we know is that one day that we will look upon God himself. The Bible says that with God there's the path to life. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul says that it is so good what we're going to receive. That all the sufferings in this life for being a Christian. For trying to live a holy life are going to be worth it a million times over. This is the promise that God has for us in the gospel, and this is God's promise for us today. And although God allows his glory to be hidden behind the veil of a world ravaged with sin, we know that he will one day burst forth and entrance his people forever with the unending brilliance of who he is. We call ourselves a gospel-centered church because we believe that the gospel is the only thing that can save us. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I've gone out there. I've personally looked. I've studied religions. There's nothing else. There is only Jesus who has victory over this world. And through Jesus, he is ushering in a new world. And we who believe in Jesus belong to that world. So, as we draw to a close, um, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. What do you do with these mind-exploding truths? What do you do with massive truths like God has wrath for the world? But then Jesus absorbed that wrath onto himself on the cross. 
And then Jesus has made a new way for everyone who believes in him to to have a path to God, to have a path to happiness and joy and life. What do you do with those sort of truths? You see, Romans doesn't offer us a three-step plan for becoming a better person. It is designed to shock us. It jars us from our mundane life and reminds us that there are great realities. The type of realities that we miss all the time in the world as we're sitting in traffic and going to work. We miss out on these amazing things that God has planned for us. What is the practical application of Romans? All struck wonder. All struck wonder. Reading Romans leaves you breathless in its size and scope. Climbing the mountain of Romans is like climbing the mind of God. You see, for our passage, I chose uh, Romans 16, starting at the very end. You may notice in your Bible, it says doxology. And that's basically a hymn of praise. Because after Paul spent 16 chapters swimming in the depths of God's beauty and of his gospel, he came out at the other end and all he could do was burst into song. And that should be our response today. The last sentence of Romans is this. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, as we close, here at this church we talk a lot about gospel wonder. We use the word wonder a lot, right? We say the beauty of the gospel. We say uh, live in gospel wonder. Like, why do we do that? Because I could come to you today and I could say, don't sin, don't sin. You better not sin this week. You better not be evil this week. You need to read the Bible this week. But does that ever really work? We need a better motivation. And in Romans, I think we see the better motivation. We think that being in all of God is a better motivation for being holy people. So there may be two kinds of people sitting in this room. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, God has a message for you today. God is sending his broadcast into the world. And his message is that he loves you. That he has a way for you to be made right in him. And he has done that through Jesus Christ. There is a way. He is telling you now through this preaching that there is a way to peace, there is a way to joy, and there is a way to happiness. If you are a believer in here, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your response should just be awe. We don't want to be pessimistic Christians. We want to be optimistic Christians. We want to be Christians who are filled with the glory of God and what he's going to do in this world and what he is doing in this world. One illustration, and then I'll close. And if it's sappy for you, I'm sorry. It it works for me. Let's say you're sleeping. And I came into your room and I said, hey, you need to wake up. You need to wake up right now and you need to come outside. Most of you would probably be like, I'm tired. It's like way too early. Come back later. Come back in an hour. Not right now. 
But what if I came into your room and I was super excited and I was like, I was shaking. I was like, you have got to wake up. You have to wake up. Get up right now. Come outside. I am witnessing the most spectacular sunrise that I've ever seen. There's been nothing like it before or since. I, I don't think we're ever going to see something like this ever again. I would imagine that most of you maybe at that point would probably leave the darkness of your room and would come outside. And here at this church, we see the gospel as a sunrise, meant to be watched and enjoyed. The sun transmits light and warmth on us every day, and the gospel broadcasts God's love for us every day. So just as you live and walk in the warmth of the sun, let's live and walk in the warmth of the gospel. Sin and the old world are like the darkness of your room. And all we're doing at this church is inviting you to come outside and say, the sunrise is here. Come and enjoy the sunrise. So that's my prayer for you guys, and that's how I want you to live this week. Not as pessimistic, not as sinful, but as living in the hope and wonder of the gospel. So I'm going to pray that over you uh, right now as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, Such a range of emotions come over us whenever we read Romans. Lord, I feel like trying to describe this book, I mean, I feel like I'm a little kid trying to, to draw Mount Everest with a crown with my non-dominant hand. I mean, I feel woefully inadequate, Lord, in trying to describe this amazing book. But I did my best. Lord, I love these people so much. But I know that you love them 10 trillion times over. You loved us so much that even though you had wrath on us because of our sin, you were also deeply in love with us. And out of your mind, out of your infinite, infinitely wise, infinitely intelligent, omniscient mind, you created this thing called the gospel in which you yourself would come down to earth and fix the problem. So we glorify Jesus Christ in this moment. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our God. May all glory be to Him forever and ever. Lord, I pray specifically for these people in this room. I pray that we are, where we are battling sin, that you would overcome it with wonder in our lives of who you are that sin would seem like a cheap knockoff, that it would seem like imitation to the wonder of who you are. I pray for those who are hurting in this room, who have broken relationships. Father, I pray that in this moment they would feel an overwhelming sense of your love for them. That through Jesus Christ, we can always say with confidence, Emmanuel, God with us. We love you, Lord. We trust in you. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.